Not long ago, colleges took it as a given that their teaching was relevant and effective. These days, though, even the most well-known colleges feel pressure to keep up with the changing times and technologies when it comes to their classroom practices. And it's not enough these days to install a few smart classrooms. Today's new approaches go deeper, often requiring professors to change the way they teach. The University of Michigan is among those taking a proactive approach. Last year, it started a major campus-wide effort to encourage a culture of continual improvement in teaching. The directive is supported at the highest levels of the institution, so for this week's Ed Surge on Air podcast, we went to the top. I sat down with Michigan's president, Mark Schlissel, to talk about what is driving the effort. This interview was taped just after he spoke at a national convening held at Michigan for leaders of similar academic innovation efforts. And the vibe there was that there's a budding movement to take the issue of teaching innovation more seriously. In talking to Schlissel, I realized that the issue is deeper than just whether facts get into the heads of students and stick. It's about how to teach citizenship in the age of fake news, and it's about making sure the public at large understands what colleges do and why they matter. We'll have that conversation right after this. This episode of the Ed Surge On Air podcast is brought to you by the Ed Surge Next newsletter. Get the latest news and views about higher education technology each week. Sign up for the Ed Surge Next newsletter. Just visit edsurge.com and click on subscribe. I'm here today with Mark Schlissel, uh, president of the University of Michigan. Thanks so much for taking the time to talk with us. Sure, it's a pleasure. So you just spoke at a conference here um, about colleges trying to find new ways to kind of set up R&D shops to reinvent themselves. And I'm curious about, um, you know, this major initiative that actually you have going into the University of Michigan to the Academic Innovation Initiative. Um, why, I guess, I wanted to, the first question I think people that know this great university would wonder is, why do you need to, to reinvent academics uh, in the first place? Well, universities are continuously reinventing themselves. That's sort of uh, part of who we are, right? We're, we're organizations that are always asking questions and trying to make discoveries. Uh, as a research university, a lot of that activity goes on within the disciplines that our faculty study. Uh, but we also now take the same approach with teaching. We'd like to figure out the best and most effective ways to help students learn and grow and pursue their ambitions while they're students at Michigan. And you know, part of that is um, looking for new ways to do uh, increasingly uh, tailored work, helping every student be optimally successful. We're also in a societal moment uh, where there are resources available for education that have not been available before. So the fact that you can carry around in your pocket a device that gives you access to all the information in the whole world, Mm. well, that must change what and how we teach, right? The fact that we've got networked communications that allows us to interact with people that are sitting next to us, but also people that are sitting halfway around the world. Uh, The fact that we can now reach huge audiences of learners, not just on campus, but globally, Uh, And now also, uh, as a large research institution, uh, we've been collecting data about our students really for decades, and we have massive amounts of digital data. And um, the tools of data analytics have developed to the point where we can now mine this data and learn from our past experiences uh, how to do a better job teaching and how to tailor education to the individual. You know, I'm really interested, you know, a few years ago, there was all this attention to MOOCs, and you all were a leader, but a lot of people have kind of 
turned away from that focus and not thinking about those as much, these massive open free yeah. online courses. But it seems like it's a centerpiece, actually, of your academic initiative strategy or one of the pillars of it, and that you're still doing them. And I hear there, there's even significant revenue coming in from some of your free courses. How did that fit in for you well, all? Well, you know, the whole MOOC craze was just fascinating to me. I was provost at Brown University when this first uh, hit the national radar screen. Uh, and it was really being advertised as the disruptive force that was going to turn higher ed on its head. And to be completely honest, um, I didn't understand why. Uh, so it certainly allows us to reach audiences of learners that previously did not have access to fantastic education. And that continues to fulfill its, its prophecy, its potential. What it can't really do is replace the kind of interaction you and I are having right now, where we're sitting together exchanging ideas or putting together a group of 10 students uh, from different backgrounds with a professor discussing an interesting and challenging topic. Mm. And even more than that, for residential higher education, the out of the classroom learning that goes on at a great university uh, is an irreplaceable adjunct to the in the classroom learning. So I never thought of MOOCs as something that would disrupt in a threatening way but what we've come to appreciate is MOOCs can enhance what we're doing on campus and then increase the, the reach of what we produce uh, to a more global audience. So a lot of the MOOC development we're doing on campus certainly is outwardly focused, but it's also used internally. So imagine if you could free up classroom time that would otherwise be a guy like me giving a biology lecture hmm. uh, and put that lecture into online content and then have the students come to class solve problems together, ask questions, devise experiments. You know, that's a rich kind of learning that we just didn't have available to us you know, before the more intense use of these digital modalities. And then also our MOOCs serve as a bit of an advertisement for the university. So uh, we have several MOOCs that are amongst the most um, uh, watched or, or enrolled in uh, on the internet through several different platforms. People look and see our great professors, so they learn something, and they also think about Michigan when they want to get a, a proper degree. We're also experimenting using online content in a blended way to take uh, adult learners, uh, give them some introductory material, but then involve them perhaps in, a, in an on-campus or um, a professional education program. Uh, so we're experimenting with the MOOC format, both for on-campus use, for outreach, and then for novel degree programs. So you're trained as a physician, yeah. and what, what do you think that universities can learn from the healthcare industry when it comes to innovation? Well, an analogy that I tried to draw in my earlier comments has to do with a big movement in medicine now that's called personalized or precision medicine. And the idea there is we have the capacity to accumulate and analyze truly massive amounts of data uh, about individual patients and then try to understand how disease works one person at a time instead of uh, how a disease works in an enormous population of people so we can better tailor uh, treatments to what will work in an individual. So maybe you've had the experience or a family member has of a doctor saying, we'll try this medicine. It works about 70% of the time. If it doesn't work, we'll try something else. Sure. Well, our idea in medicine is to learn about what is it about that 70% of the people for whom it works and the 30% that it doesn't, so we can now predict which medicine will make in, uh, work in which patient. But now with learning analytics and the application of big data, we can take a class of hundreds of students, the goal is to take a class of hundreds of students, and then figure out what works best in terms of educational modalities for every individual student in that group. 
And people learn differently. I was always a person that learned great sitting in a lecture. I learned much better having someone explain something to me and take me through the thinking than I do reading a book. Hmm. There are a lot of people that's just the opposite. They barely go to lecture at all, and they absorb tremendous amounts of material from reading a book or from a media presentation. And that means our minds all work differently. And taking advantage of this huge amount of data we've been able to accumulate about student learners over the course of decades, uh, we can try to figure out how to optimize education one individual at a time. So you can be sitting with 500 kids, but we can tailor what you get to your individual best way of learning. So, I mean, really a lot of this is about the university of the future, right? And, and how the research universities, which have been such a staying power, are, are changing and adapting to the new world. As we tape this, a new president in the U.S. is about to take effect, yeah. uh, take office, Donald Trump. And in this election cycle, we saw such a rise of fake news and misinformation on both candidates, really. And I wonder, do you think colleges have to work harder at kind of digital and media literacy in this environment, either on-campus programs or through MOOCs or some other way? I mean, Yeah, you know, th there are two really important things I have to say about this. One is that one of our obligations at, at universe, colleges and universities is to teach our students how to be citizens. And, you know, part of being a citizen is making a personal commitment to pay attention to what's going on all around you in the body politic, the big issues of the day that are being debated, uh, to get good, reliable information and to discuss with your, your peers, your family members, the other people who live in your community, your thoughts about what direction our country should be taking in all the different issues we're confronting. That's citizenship. And it's even in our mission statement to, to create citizens that are going to uh, uh, challenge the future. Uh, so that's very important, and the university does that in many different ways. And one might argue that a research university is incredibly well-suited to do that. Our faculty, uh, through their research, are really trained to be skeptics. They're trained not to take uh, things as a given and to look for demand data, to demand good logical arguments. Um, they teach our students uh, how to identify important problems and how to frame really good questions how to pursue the unknown. Uh, that's great training if you want to be uh, an active, involved citizen in your community. Uh, from a, a different perspective, one of the ways I think the academy hasn't served society optimally is our faculty should really be more engaged in providing their expertise into the public debate. You know, we've got 3,000 tenure-stream faculty at Michigan with experts in almost every area you could possibly think of and that expertise um, has to be more generously offered to the public, not just uh, presenting itself in written journals or in books that other scholars read, but put into public debate in ways the public can learn from and then use to make good decisions about policy, about voting, uh, uh, about all of the issues that we're confronting. So one of my initiatives as the president here uh, is to help incentivize or maybe even liberate faculty to be more outwardly focused in their scholarship. Uh, writing op-eds, you know, doing podcasts with you, uh, uh, testifying, serving on federal commissions, going up to Lansing and uh, helping educate the state legislature, uh, doing work in D.C., just uh, helping our political leaders and helping our fellow citizens have good facts upon which to form their own opinions. You know, you mentioned in your remarks that there is this broader debate, you know, even before the presidential election about the value of higher education, yeah. that 
is an ongoing one. And it seems like, you know, there is this this sense of people questioning it. And so is the antidote then to the, what you described of, of just being out there more as your Yeah, yeah your I think we have to demystify what goes on inside a university. Um, people's image of a research university is really very much a, a place where students go to classes and sit in lectures and go to football games. Uh, but to give the public a, a deeper impression of what it is to do academic research and why it's important. So an example that I sometimes use is uh, has to do with the decision to go to war, the first Gulf, uh, uh, Gulf War, the sure. first George Bush Gulf War. Um, or, or more recently, uh, the post-9-11 incursions in the, in the Gulf. Um, you can't help but imagine if people who were broadly educated, historians, political scientists, philosophers, ethicists, economists, uh, were involved in making these decisions, we might have made better decisions. Uh, uh, if uh, the public understands better the culture in that part of the world, the history, the religion in that part of the world, um, we're likely to vote in a different way maybe than we voted before. So it's making the scholarly work of the academy more accessible and available, not just to our students, but to the general public. So the discussions and the debates we have are based on more thorough thought and knowledge, more fact-based debates. And I don't think the academy should be telling society what to do, but it should be providing information, uh, validated, fact-based, good scholarly information that the public can then use to make its political decisions. Yeah, I mean, it seems like there's there's a lot of difficulties in that very thing that both journalists and, and academics are probably yeah. working through very, very hard right now because there is this... Um, questioning that goes on, and it's very hard. It, sometimes people get attacked. You know, I know even even something you said during the election sure. got you know blew up in for a minute there, and, and it seems like it happens to journalists all the time too. Um, you know, how do you how do you get professors to be able to navigate that? I suppose or students. Well, you know, I think many of our faculty are very anxious to have a positive impact on the public. They either in the past haven't been rewarded for it, or sometimes they're even. Uh, their uh, enthusiasm is diminished. So I'll tell you one thing that I mean by that for a, a sort of more um, uh, academic audience, perhaps. So our faculty um, come here as assistant professors, and one of their goals is to achieve tenure, to develop a body of scholarly work and a teaching portfolio that will enable them to get the security of employment that will lead them to the latter stages of their career. Sure. So the incentives there are to do scholarly work and publish in peer-reviewed journals and to put your nose to the grindstone and write your next great book that'll be published by the University of Michigan Press or some other fancy press. Publish or perish. Still publish or perish. And that you know, doesn't place as strong an incentive uh, doing these outwardly focused things that the academy traditionally hasn't known how to value. Hmm. So what we do, what I think we need to do is adjust or tweak our value system so that making the products of our scholarly work more accessible to the public becomes an institutional value that we reward people for. Well, thank you so much for taking the time to talk with me today. Oh, it's a pleasure. Thank you very much. This has been the Ed Surge on Air podcast. If you have suggestions for future episodes, email us at feedback at edsurge.com. If you like the show, please subscribe on iTunes or your favorite podcast app and leave us a rating. This episode was edited and produced by me, Jeff Young. We'll be back next week with more conversations about the future of education.